0: Listening does not mean I'm agreeing with you. It means that I'm listening to, for understanding who are you, how do you see the world, what's your world, what's your view, what's your lens. And then once I understand that, then A, the relationship can be built. B, I can lead you because I have an understanding of who you are and what might motivate you. How might I move you? How might I entice you or encourage you You know, to, to go in a certain direction?
1: Relations, driving change forward.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of Alpha Relations. We have a wonderful guest. She is a teacher, a mentor, a wonderful being that has taught many of us in our program, Human Relations at HSC at Concordia University so much. I don't want to give too much away about her, so she's going to be doing that. It is Diane Fulton. Welcome. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> oh,
3: thank you. Wow. Hello,
2: Diane. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm
0: good. I'm really good. I'm excited. I'm happy to be here. And so um, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, you know, it's always wonderful to, to see you and you know, just to you and you know to cover topics and talk about things that are you know I'm passionate about yeah. and that I'm excited about. So again, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
2: That's it. We're gonna we're gonna get into it. Uh but just to give a little bit our, our our fans here, our listeners, just a little sneak peek. You know, I, I and many people I, I would believe you know consider Diane to be someone who has you know, uh, an abundance amount of knowledge and expertise regarding leadership, and I, we personally thought here at Alpha that that's a, that's such a relevant theme, so significant that's going on these days. You know, in many many different aspects of life. So, like we said, you know what? Let's 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 have a discussion about that. And there's no better person than we thought at the moment than to have Diane on. So. Getting right into it, Diane, we're just going to ask you, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your background, um, how you got to where you are now, particularly your academics and within the field of human relations.
0: Okay. So um, I've been in uh, the field for probably 30 plus years, um, have background in organizations. So I come from corporate, um, chose, uh, began in uh, business. So was over at uh, John Molson for a bit and um loved the program um but wanted something that was more interactive more working with people so then i moved over to psychology and again love that as well um just you know the the broad knowledge of it the theoretical of it but again it was the sort of people component that seemed to be missing so I kept you know hopping back over to guidance and okay so now when they're like oh my god it's you again and so then they said how about and at the time it was called applied social sciences it was not applied human sciences that changed along the way so I'm really dating myself likely but it was applied social sciences and that was really it was taking theoretical and putting it into application so it was really that face-to-face, that hands-on, that was working with people. And it was finally like a sigh of relief. Oh, my gosh. It, it was an instant fit. It was hand in glove. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, I in, really immediately felt the fit. I belong here. Um, but I loved it. I kept, though, my psychology. So uh, and I kept the business. So I graduated with a double major, a major in applied human sciences and also um, a major in uh, psychology. Wow. Excuse me. And I had um, a minor in business. So I came out with all of that. So with my undergraduate degree. So it was limitless. I felt possibilities. You know, I stayed with corporate life, um, started to work more towards um, effecting change in organizations. I also have because of my psychology, I um, worked a long time with in the field of counseling and the field of addiction. So I have a, a strong profile in working with with addicts and addictions, and I did um, working in closed units, so going into uh, programs that were uh, residential. So worked a long time in that. Um, I learned about myself along the way is that I don't insulate really well from like big emotions and people's emotions and. I can feel things, you know, from a distance, I can sense things, and I think that's just experience gains gained over time. So I have a very strong emotional intelligence component, which can be learned and developed. And So, yes. <laughs> um, so I moved out of counseling, and that's what segued me into education. Um, you know, I love to be with people, I love to teach people. Uh, the counseling, because I wasn't insulating really well, thought, mm. so then went into the classroom. Um, and again, it was that fit, you know, it's like wow, okay, no matter how tired I am, no matter how exhausted I feel, as soon as I step in a classroom, it's like it lights me up. Um and so then I know that this is where I, you know, I need to be and this is where I love to be. Uh, and then added more recently over the years, the coaching. So moving away from that sort of counseling component again. Um, I went, you know, in organization, I work more as a process Uh, like performance um, consultants. So, and that's anything people related. So your processes, your procedures, um, and then so added in the coaching component and adding in coaching was helpful because it helped me to see people as robust, The counseling model can tend to have at times, is kind of my opinion, but more of a medical approach, you know, diagnosis and what's broken and let's try to fix it kind of thing. But coaching has more of people, you know, the initial approach for me, and this is my understanding of it and how I apply it, is that people are really robust. That no matter where they are in their life, no matter what they're facing, no matter what you know, the circumstances are or the challenges that and they might not feel strong, you know, and sometimes we go through things and we think, oh, my God, I'm never going to get through this. How am I going to do this? Um, but for me, coaching is seeing them as robust, you know, seeing them as resourceful, seeing their strengths, you know, and seeing. And so added coaching, you know, later on um, to my sort of, you know, profile, I guess, as it was, with my, my skills and the skills that I have. Um, and i really, as an approach, you know, to working with people, I really enjoy it. Like I, I really appreciate that. And I think it has, it has a broad application, um, and it fits. I can be in the classroom and coach, you know, I can be in the boardroom, I can work with VPs, I can, so there's always, um, you know, um, an application for it. So, so that was helpful, um, in terms of, uh, and I see it as a leadership skill, You know, when I teach leadership, I I see coaching as one of those, you know, put it in your toolkit because it's really, you know, a helpful approach. So, um, yeah, so that sort of, you know, brought me around. I've been in the department. I began as a student in applied human sciences. Then I helped to I worked on the committee that helped to develop the um, our master's degree. So I worked on that committee um, and then, you know, have been in the classroom and have been there since. Um, Courses that I teach, can I move into that? Or- Absolutely, the floor
2: is yours, go for it please.
0: Yeah, so courses that I teach in applied human sciences, I teach across the range. I teach introductory courses and I teach graduating courses. So at the um, undergraduate level, and I love to do that. Um, the foundational courses for me, like um, interpersonal communication, uh, working in task groups, the leadership, to me, those are foundational. And those are where students learn to really explore um Who they are, what they know, how they know it, um, what are their strengths, what are their challenges, uh, what skills do they have, what are the gaps. Um, and then once the foundation is built, then they can move on, uh, to, to, you know, into the graduating courses and they'll have, um, and because I know what they need to graduate and leave, I know what to put into my introductory courses, but then I also know what goes into the graduating courses. So, um, I think that's been really helpful, um, for me to be able to do that. Um, so my favorites are the, are the, are the foundational courses? Those are the ones because um, I, I and I take a very specific approach. It's always been it's um it's trying to help individuals, people, be it students, be it VPs, be it you know, um organizations, to take more of a self-reflective approach. And so that self-reflective approach is really about again, it's that looking inside. What can I do? How do I do it? Um, what do I need? It really is. Um, I believe that a lot of um, our growth and our capacity—you know—to interact, our capacity to lead—is um, mm-hmm. inside out. Mm-hmm. You know? so it starts from the inside, and um, and it's it's knowing oh, what are my values. You know, what do I believe in? Uh, what do what do I think? And f- foundationally, it's about relationships that I think if you invest and spend time on relationships, we don't have to be best friends. We don't have to go out, you know, for drinks and food. And, but to de- build a capacity to really respect others, you know, and to be curious about others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that leads me to my next foundational piece, which is about listening. And I say this all the time in my classes, and you know, no, I know you heard me say it, that listening does not mean I'm agreeing with you. It means that I'm listening to for understanding who are you, how do you see the world, what's your world, what's your view, what's your lens. And then once I understand that, then A, the relationship can be built, B, I can lead you because I have an understanding of who you are and what might motivate you, how might I move you, how might I entice you or encourage you, you know, to to go in a certain direction. So...
2: Wow! Wow,
3: <laughs> that
2: was great. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like Diane, just hearing you talk, and I like I get the same feeling with all the professors, but it's always unique, you know, depending on who we're having on, based off the experiences and where you're coming from. And it's 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 that wonder, you know. I feel like you 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 just giving me that wonder once more that I got in two thirty two, all those introduction courses, which for myself personally, that's what really you know said like this is it. Like I know where I am and my feet are grounded, and this is where I'm going to be because I want to be here, right? Mm. For all the reasons that you just spoke about. So, yeah, you know, thank you. That was that was good. Just to wind, uh, to go back a bit, you know, to, to rewind. I like to explore... Uh, coaching in terms of the logistics. So, how did you go about? Um, uh, I believe you talked about this in the past before. But you are a certified coach, mm-hmm. correct? Okay, yes. perfect.
0: Yeah. International Coaching Federation. So it's ICF. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, and they have three levels. They have an associate level, a professional level, and then a master's level. So my certification is professional. It's and it's how many hours you've done in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, will determine you know which which one you can. Um, you, you, which designation you'll end up with or which certification you'll end up with. So, so, but to your question, sorry.
2: No, oh, no worries. Thank you for that. Um, my question was, in other words, how did you go about attaining such a certificate you okay. know, for those who are interested?
0: Yes, for sure. Um, Concordia offers it. Um, It's a, I think it's a 16 day program right now. It's offered through uh, John Molson, uh, but it's actually offered through JMEC, which is a John Molson Executive Center. So it's sort of a small department that's attached to JMEC, uh, sorry, to, excuse me, to John Molson. And JMEC is more um, geared to the outside world, you know, so organizations and, so it, it, it's it's um it's offered by Jim Gavin and Madeline McBriarty who um are also uh instructors uh, well Jim's been in the department for uh, for many years as Madeline as well and so they developed it they grew it, it you know it started off as you know a, a post-it note on the wall you know and then it, it just grew into this ginormous program that they've been offering for years I went through one of the first programs back in 2008 I think um and it has you know different levels to it so so you have the, um, the the coaching certification, which is sort of the, uh, the the first course you would take. But then there's courses afterwards, and there's even a, a mastery. Uh, Certification that you can also get when you take this. Let's just say you know the. I'm gonna. I don't want to call it an entry level uh, course because it's not really entry level, but it, it really is um, the, a foundational piece. I guess it's it's the first course you would take, um, and it uh, when you go through it, it's recognized by ICF by the International Coaching Federation. It's recognized, and you come out with an associate. Um, coaching certification designation so um that's really helpful you know then you do belong to icf even though um you might not uh you know uh, you might not go beyond that you might just keep the associate if you were to do the coaching certification and again it's offered um at concordia the um uh, the instructors are outstanding if you've ever taken a course with jim uh, jim gavin or with madeline mcgrity like my God, like it's another world being in a classroom with them is being in another world. Like they all, you know, so I highly recommend it. Um, and in the, in addition to that, you know, you come out, uh, with, uh, uh, just this profound, you think
2: the world knows what's happening right now
0: so um back to the program anyway it, i highly recommend it um it's it really is uh, transformative
3: mm-hmm.
0: um and again it, it's it's built on a lot of the philosophies that i believe in you know that inside out type of a type of approach you know to really know yourself well know how you show up uh, know how you you know what are your preferences what are your defaults what are your biases uh, what lens again are you looking at the world through so when i do show up and and you know um subjects show up in front of me you know people bring you know there's their stories and they bring their i know which stories will trigger me i know which stories i'm like Ugh. You know, I know which stories that oh, I don't know if I have the knowledge for this. Like I, I really have, you know, really, I think broad understanding and I've been in the world for a while. So um, I've had, you know, years to accumulate uh, the experience that I have, but I do, I think, have a broad view of myself and my, but the coaching program for me, just, you know, to step back, the coaching program for me offered uh, through Concordia, through JMAC really fits with my style of how i like to learn you know I, I, I sitting in a classroom and hearing lecture not so much i learn from that 100 percent, but mm-hmm. i really need to be in it like i need to 100%. play with the pieces pull it apart i need to dig into myself do that self-reflection like i i appreciate that that work
3: mm-hmm. um
0: and i try i think to how i structure you know my work or my courses or my is to have students do the same you know just dig in just a little bit you know to to see mm-hmm. what's in there so
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we'd be surprised once we scratch past the surface. It's really funny when that happens too. When the you know students like in working with task groups do that mm-hmm. right as they're approaching the deadline of their final project presentations, and like oh, so this is what's really been going on, and we have one week to to process it, analyze it, and then put it into a presentation. But yeah, <laughs> I hear you.
0: It often comes afterwards. Right. Yeah. That, that that sort of recognition and that the realization. And I learned a lot by being a TA. Mm-hmm. And when I go back to TA the course. I thought, oh, my God, I never learned that. That's what this was about. like. It's really a whole different perspective. Right. It's a different yes. view.
2: That it is.
3: Mm-hmm. So then just to uh, talk a bit more about leadership, you've kind of mentioned it a little bit in uh, in your discussion about coaching and what you've done in the past academically but just so more specifically what is leadership and what is the importance of leadership as well okay so what is it wow leadership is it's one of those i think concepts
0: that's huge there's more definitions there's more literature there's more on what it what it is and um and Why, why, why do we need this? So for me, leadership is, um, I don't even know if I have a definition, but it really is the capacity to, uh, work with, understand, influence, um, others, you know, the, the, and it's relation, it's relational, it's relationship. So for me, everything is relationship. It comes back to relationship. If I build relationship with you, if I connect with you, if I, you know, develop my capacity, you know, for, for understanding, for listening, for, you know, having that, that level of emotional intelligence to know what's going on inside of me, but also to sort of anticipate what's going on with you, anticipate what, might happen to you if I give you news or give you information um, so so leadership really leadership is also for me the the capacity to um, what's missing in this scenario like what needs to get done um, so it comes down sometimes to the different roles that we can fulfill so if there's a ton of people that are coordinating ideas or synthesizing or mediating then I'm gonna move over here and I'm going to you know be the person who records the ideas who synthesizes the ideas um, and and so it's really that that capacity to to see what what's needed what what needs to get done um, it's situational you know leadership mm-hmm. is situational so i i genuinely believe that um leadership is not one size fits all and we can develop skills. It, it, it can be learned. I should say that. You. I'd like to say that it can be learned. There's always lots of conversations. You're either a leader or you're not a leader. You know, you, you've either got the, the characteristics to do it or you don't. And um, I really think it can be learned. Um, I think that uh, for me, I always stress that it's a shared leadership model like in my classrooms in my groups in my it's shared we share it it's even if I'm not the designated leader if even if I'm in an organization or if I'm not the designated leader I still I believe have a a responsibility and accountability to show up and take the initiative at times or to point things out or to stand in an unpopular position and say I'm sorry but the emperor has no clothes you know like Not going to make me very popular and you might not follow me, but I really have a role and responsibility to do that. So I think leadership is, as you know, it can be the traditional hierarchy designated, but I think um, it's also a shared responsibility um for all of us you know to step in fill in the gaps even big or small you know we don't have to do big um you know life-changing things but in small ways you know to help out support uh, support the other person
3: so then uh with keeping all that in mind what you just said uh could you name some benefits and challenges of leadership
0: Benefits and challenges. So I think if we, if we step out, you know, the benefits of it. So the benefits, big and small, because I always go kind of micro, it's kind of group work. Okay, what's the benefits in in a group, you know, in a group, it's really getting people organized, getting people on board, uh, getting people engaged, um, figuring out what it is that they are strong at and, and maybe offering them things that you know will keep them engaged if they're strong at it and they feel passionate about it. But I'm not sure. I'm, I think the micro works just as well in the macro, and we have huge, you know, um, issues worldwide right now that are requiring strong leadership capabilities and um, you know we're seeing if we look at just if we can frame it in the pandemic and maybe that's going too broad but if we frame it in pandemic um, you know the benefits of having you know a, a leader who can assess what's going on what needs to get done um, and having the courage to do it sometimes. Uh, and you can see we can see throughout the world that there are countries that have, you know, navigated pandemic a little easier than or a little, you know, with, with less dire, you know, impact than other countries. And and what's the difference between them? And so, and then you can look at different leadership styles, right? You have your authoritarians and then you have your laissez-faire, and then you have your democratics, and then you have your and depending on uh, what needs to get done example wear a mask if you in, in countries where we have you know um rights and freedoms like you know Canada US and we have the right or the freedom to say yay or nay to that you know um except when then they you know leaders can step in and now they're imposing it you know they're they're telling us you have to and and um you know lockdown we now have a curfew here in Quebec and if you're outside it you know in the outside of After curfew, there are fines and people getting fined. And so now they're coercing us, you know, they're being the authoritarian, they're get this done. And so we conform, we're compliant. Um, So, you know, the, the benefit of leadership, I think, is being able to assess what's needed. And it goes back to what's in my toolkit. Can I be the authoritarian if I need to? Can I be democratic if I need to? So I'm very much about, you know, building your capacity to lead um, as a not one size fits all, having more of a blend, I'll call it a blended approach, but being able to pull out, okay, I need to stomp on this. So it's going to be authoritarian got to happen. I'm going to be democratic about this. We're going to talk about it. We're going to explore it um, and see what can work best for all of us. Um, But when we look around the world, there's the, you know, in in some ways, in, uh, let's say, I'm going to say China, which has more of an authoritarian approach, everybody had to wear masks, everybody had to do this, they, they were compliant, they did it. It, it, it helped to contain the virus a lot more. Um, but then ironically, if you looked at down in the States, you know, you had, um, you know, Donald Trump at the time, who was also authoritarian, you know, but chose to you know, take a different stance on it, and and not, and then you know, even though he has an authoritarian approach, he gave you know the people the choice to wear them or not wear them. He wasn't really going to, and so. He's trying to be, I think at the time he was sort of trying to be more democratic, more people have free will and freedoms, and so they need to do this. But it ends up being more of a muddied kind of, of leadership style. You know, I'm really this, but I'm going to try to be that. And in the end, there's confusion and people polarized on it. So, you know, I think, and that for me comes back to having a, a strong concept of what will work and what won't work right. and being able to effectively initiate it. So I don't know if that touches on where you wanted to
3: go yeah <laughs> it does
1: yeah I definitely think so and uh, I just want to bring it back a little bit because we sort of now we, we sort of like went into what the next like um topic we sort of want to talk about with you is uh, leadership in relation to like the global pandemic and just like you know decision making and conflicts and you know having these leaders have to like you know make these decisions like letting kids go back to school and the curfew and um, you know, why Ontario is doing more of a stay at home, like orders compared to um, Quebec, that's a little different. And um, like, why things aren't uniform here, but like compared to places like Australia, where things were a lot more uniform and, mm-hmm. and um, just like, just how that approaches and with, um, you know, leadership and what, what you see from it from your lens uh, with the leaders right now.
0: Yeah, I think if we kind of do some comparisons, if we look at Australia, Australia was driven from the top. So really, like, she's Prime Minister, uh, I, I, forgive me, I, I'm her name is eluding me, um, I do have it somewhere, but she, you know, the Prime Minister of Australia drove it from the top.
2: I think we're confusing, we have to apologize to our to our Australian and Kiwi friends out there, because um, you're talking about Jacinda Arden, the Prime Minister of New Zealand.
0: Oh, my apologies, yeah. yes. Oh, <laughs> my apologies, yes, I know, and I can clearly see her in my head. Oh, I'm so sorry.
3: <laughs> okay, it's all good.
0: Exactly, so... It was driven, but, you know, going back to it, it was driven from the top. And so she was the one that was, you know, telling, you know, New Zealand, this is how it has to be. I mm-hmm. think we're in Canada, yes, we have, you know, we have Trudeau, who is, you know, putting out the guidelines, putting out the, but then individual provinces get to decide how they want to do things. Right. Now in ontario my understanding is that they're more when it comes to education let's say let's look at the education they're more pro online mm-hmm. like you know the minister believes that online learning is is strong it can work it can so very pro online and here in quebec that that doesn't seem to be there you know that this online learning it was not quite adopted it was i'm watching my own girls i have high school level girls and so Mm -hmm. i'm watching them and the online learning option is not very strong it's not robust um and and i think that's that's driven by the leadership right they they weren't they didn't really think um they didn't think it was going to be you know strong could do it or not do it Um, it does work better with older populations that's for sure like high school and and you know down but when Mm -hmm. you get into excuse me the little the littler ones you know online doesn't doesn't work as well because they really need a more of a focus on the social and the social development and then you move more towards you know academic although you do keep that social component as you go forward so um and and so i think that's where we're seeing um a variance across Mm -hmm. our country as to how things are getting done, who's containing it more and better. Um, When we were in strict lockdown in in March and April going into May, uh, the virus did get tamped down because Mm -hmm. there was nothing for it. You know, we weren't out there. It was... um, it was really tough. I think people really experienced that as tough. And then in the summertime, when things started to open back up, I think there was maybe a letting down of our guard a bit. Um, There was, you know, understanding, well, you know, for some people, okay, well, if I get it, I probably won't get that sick. So probably doesn't matter, you know, so we're also basing our information on leaders that are giving us, you know, it's more this population that get most sick and who are most at risk and others down, not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, based on the information we're getting is how we behaved. But then suddenly, you know, now the the virus is starting to flourish again. So, there it it was it was challenging it was challenging because i think that there was a lot of um different values different beliefs uh different um strengths you know like when you look at ontario yes we can go online because we believe in it we we're going to support it we're going to put the equipment out there quebec ah not so much you know where we don't know that it works that well we don't we don't think it does and again it's this leaders saying we're going to do this much. And then we're going to let the ones below us decide how they want to do it. So there's really a missing of a global strategy. And I think in New Zealand, um, there was more of a global strategy for, for New Zealand. Like, this is how we want to do it. And here's how I would like each of you to behave. Now, some people might not like that directive approach, but it seemed to work. Where in the U.S. and I think in Canada, we had these guidelines. And yeah. then each province could implement as they wanted, depending on... Uh, the preference of the leader depending on where you know the strengths of the leader depending on so then you have this variance i think of how things get implemented um and as a when you look at the big picture of it i think we're struggling more right yeah mm-hmm. we're missing that global someone needed to wrap their arms around it i mm-hmm. you know and and say okay you're not gonna like it but this is you know at first they wrapped their arms around it and they said lockdown everybody shut it down it, we gotta do this and we did it and it worked in terms of you know tamping down the virus but my god businesses and education and the impact yeah. of it, you know yeah. we're still trying to sort yeah. that out i think i think we're still mm-hmm. trying to sort that out
2: i would agree you know it's just some um i'm with you there you know that like I, mm-hmm. I believe like we were strong you know at the start of this you know there was a that uh, feeling of unification, right? Mm-hmm. And but it's like I think, in a sense, it's kind of like letting your guard down because we, we are who doesn't want everything to go back to normal? Of course right. not. And summer came around next, of course, and things were things were simpler then than they are now. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's mindset, you know, and and seeing places like New Zealand, Australia, and other countries, uh, the mindset and just having being like a taking a, a pragmatic approach to things, right? And it's not that I don't think we have that. I think we do. I think everyone has the means of doing that. At the end of the day, everyone has the means, like you're saying about you know building up your leadership. But mm-hmm. I think when like when time is at you know an essence and there's decisions out on the table and things are just getting flown around, like I see disorganization. You know, hence the struggle.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you know, the unification is when you talk about conflict and decision making, right? That's I mean, totally. conflict is is about not me against you, but what is our what is the end game? Mm-hmm. what do we want to achieve together and mm-hmm. again if if you're not my friend but if i can line up with you know the end what's the end game and say we're going to keep working on it till we get to our end point but if we polarize and we positionalize it's not a word but it's not oh, good take it up, is now <laughs> <laughs> make up new words as we go along um, if we take a position then it becomes all about the position Um, and and so if you, you know, wear a mask, well, I don't have to wear a mask, right? It's my right, my freedom not to do that. I don't have to. So what's the end game here? What's the, and then if you have the capacity, you know, to engage people, um, in terms of relationship, then I think you have the capacity to move them right there. There are different strategies. There are different ways to lead people. You can put in, um, a power coercive strategy, do it or else I'll find you if you don't. You can educate people, you know, so let's educate them. let's and then there's this sort of you know rational approach where if people are reasonable human beings and they'll do the right thing, well, not always so but again, for me, it always comes back to not one size fits all and always that blend. there's always, okay, I only want to use coercive, and I always only want to be authoritative, it's comfortable, it's my default, and it's yes, and that's like taking a hammer to fix a window. <laughs> it's a great tool Uh, hammers are great and they can do a lot of work but you know they don't always. you know like it's so it's broadening your repertoire and your capacity to respond and that's i think what leadership is Mm -hmm. um and but there's also uh, when we look at examples is what is the emotional load you know, there's, there's a, a terminology and it's, it's, it's called a, this, a significant emotional event. You know, so what's the emotional load? What's the example? In New York, who got hit very hard with pandemic, there were like thousands of people dying, you know, 800, 900,000 people dying a day. And so they took extreme measures and the state responded. Right. So you listened, if you were listening to the governor, you know, down in New York, Homo, he was, you know, uh, talking to us every day or talking to the people every day. But the situation was so extreme that putting in an extreme measure, people followed it. Like mm-hmm. the more extreme, I think it is, the more emotional it is, the more it's, the perspective becomes more narrow and your choices become less and so leading even though people said oh my god it was it was it was incredible that all those people dying all those but there was limited choices as what to do to really rein that in and really wrap your arms around it so versus you know someone when they shut us down i think back in march and and it's horrible no matter who passed no matter it just makes me cry to think about it but there was like 150 cases or hundred cases or something in Canada or even 50 cases in Canada. And I apologize, I don't remember the number. And I was like, we're shutting down. Why? You know, we have, but it was really not understanding. So it was easier to take more of a broader, you know, application of guidelines, a broader way to, but they shut us down then. They Mm -hmm. really did. And maybe because their understanding of what pandemic was And, you know, I heard one person, you know, not wearing a mask and saying they're not going to wear a mask because pandemic for them was people dying in the street, like walking around and people would be falling out of their cars dying. That was pandemic and they weren't seeing that. So they thought, well, it's it's not a big deal. So again, you know, it's, it's, it's thinking about people's where they're standing and how do I lead them from that?
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And I can coerce them. I can educate them. I can appeal to their better nature. Um, And those, again, are all those sort of, you know, skill sets that you can put into your repertoire of how to respond and
3: lead. It's definitely an interesting, like, time and everybody, you know, has their own take on things, their own stance. Like, every individual is either, you know, pro the masks or Mm -hmm. against the masks. Like, everybody has their own take. And especially every country has their own take on how to handle the pandemic. So it's been very interesting to see. But you had mentioned that, you know, you could either coerce them or take other approaches in leading them. So in your opinion and your knowledge on leadership and kind of an understanding about the global pandemic as the example we've been using, in your opinion, what does it take to be an effective leader in order, you know, to lead the people to take the necessary precautions or measures or what have you. Mm -hmm.
0: And I would, I would have, I would stack up my approach. Mm -hmm. You know, I would stack it up. So I would start off with um, probably authoritative, you know, just saying, and, 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 it's also information sharing. It's about being honest. It's about being so maybe not authoritative, but really starting off with, and as I'm saying it, it sounds more like an educative approach, right? Let's mm-hmm. educate, let's tell people what it is. Let's tell them how it works. Um, let's be consistent. Uh, and, and then, you know, help them to understand, you know, support them in, in their, Oh my gosh, I know this is going to be painful. I know this is going to be hard. Here's what could be lost. You know, here's what could be gained. It's going to impact your business. It's going to impact education. It's going to impact. Um, and so, um, I think I would, I would start off with just a very sort of broad, this is what it is. This is how it behaves. This is how it acts. This is what the science says, because Mm -hmm. in the science and, and this is what it's going to be grounded in and then make those hard choices, Mm -hmm. you know, and at that point, you have to do this, this way. Um, And, uh, and, and and I think if, like for us, I think at the beginning when they shut us down, that's what it was. It was, um, we didn't understand a lot about it. And I really believe, in my view, it was more of a fear based approach. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of fear out there. Um, I'm not sure I would scare people. That would not be my approach. I really would take, I'm an educator, so I would definitely take an educative approach, um, try to educate people, try to help them understand. But then at the same time, I think there needs to be support that's offered. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to take away people's livelihood, then we do need to replace that with something um, so that people can continue a certain quality of life. If mm-hmm. you know lose too much, then it becomes unbearable. And, and then it's hard to comply because right. the pain that you're in and what you're experiencing is, is so unbearable that why would I comply? You know, I, I I can't do that. So, yeah, I think I would start educative. Then I would start with making those hard decisions. Um, be prepared to stand in an unpopular position. People aren't going to like it. They're not going to like you. Um, it gets complicated when we're talking about, I think, the political world because people want to keep their jobs. So, you know, sometimes they, you know, don't want to stand in that unpopular position because that means they could get voted out. Um, But at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, erring on the side of people's safety and people's health and people that really understanding that and prioritizing that. um, And hopefully you won't bring everybody along. I think there will be people who will be unhappy. There will be people, even with your best effort, will be negatively impacted by decisions Mm -hmm. that you've made. Um, And it's so dire because people could lose their lives. Like, You know, leading in these times,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, like I, I don't know in the end who gets a pat on the back, you know, because it's really not that kind of yay triumphant leadership thing, you know. It's it's really uh, doing the best you can with what you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and but I, I think that leadership also has to have flavoring of empathy, Mm. the capacity to you know walk in other people's shoes, and um, and that's why I think you know, blending your approach, if you can, you know, to make hard decisions, to you know um you know being able to support when you need to uh, being democratic you know that sort of democratic type of style being autocratic when you have to and and that's why i think you know there's the, the model like the the, the situational leadership model right by hersey and blanchard and and that there's not one size that fits all and so you direct you delegate you support you know you coach you 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 really you know i think leaders who have the capacity to you know read the situation and bring the tools, you know, not always the hammer, but sometimes you need a screwdriver, sometimes you need a saw, mm-hmm. you need know, glue, like you have to be able to know what to apply, when to apply it and how much to apply. And and that really is knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing your challenges um, and being willing, you know, to um, expand and grow, you know, uh, the the areas that that uh, that you need to do that. Yeah. Totally
3: agree.
2: Keeping all this in mind, Diane, I mean, we've looked at conflict, we've looked at decision making, um, having being versatile, you know, being a leader, right? Having being able to take the situation at hand, be up on your toes and roll with the given moment. And knowing that, so like you mentioned, I mean, this last year and still continuing into this year, it has been a rather you know, lucrative time for so many different types of um, situational conflicts that require such leadership to be taken. And what we just want to ask you is run a few scenarios, okay? Uh, Real-life scenarios. So here at home, you know, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, here we are, we have a curfew in this uh, province. If you were a part of the leadership team, and the decisions that were going to be implemented, let's say, within, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours, what would you have brought up to the table you know, with your colleagues at that time that should have been considered in relation to leadership and the decisions that we're going to be uh, moving forward with?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Um, the first thing that comes to mind to me was the education system, mm-hmm. right? And, and education was, everything's a system. Right? So we know that everything's interconnected. That's right. So you move one part, it moves another part. You know, another way I have of saying this is you throw a a rock in the water and the ripples go out. You have to try as a leader, I think, anticipate those ripples. Mm -hmm. Like What's Mm -hmm. going to get hit? What's going to get impacted? Um, And one of the things that I noticed, and I'm in education, um, my husband's in education. He works in the elementary school system. So he's got, you know, the little kids and the... Um, and one of the things that happened consistently, my experience and what I, you know I was getting from others, is that our government was making decisions around education. And here's why education was also important. And we know this is because if we don't open education and we don't get kids back into school, we couldn't get industry back up we couldn't get the economy running again and there's the system piece right it's it was connected so we shut down schools and especially the little the little like the little schools high schools not so much because high school kids can probably stay alone and you can still go out to work and they can let themselves back in the house and stuff but the little ones they need someone at home and we were in you know, this grandparents, you know, couldn't, you know, take care of kids because of the age group they were in. And and so, you know, parents, even if they went back to school, back to work, they had nobody to look after kids. It was hard to find, you know, sitters and and people to to take care of the kids. So really the solution they believed was to get kids back into school. That was what they wanted to do. So they made decisions, you know, such as, okay, we're opening the school on, I'm going to, again, I don't remember all the dates, but on May 1st Mm -hmm. and they threw that out there and then the schools had to figure out how to open and Mm -hmm. schools were like how do we do this like Mm -hmm. no more guidance than that like you have to open get the kids back into school so then you have you know again that sort of um, silo right you have how many schools? 1,500 schools in, in in Quebec or more. And so now they all have to open and they're all opening the way they think fits best best with who they're opening for. And so I think that the people who are going to be impacted by decisions were not at the table.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes we don't want to bring them to the table as leaders because, oh, my God, this is going to be long. Yeah, it was going to be long, but then there was, okay, we won't open on May 5th uh, 1st. Yep. We'll open on May 15th. We'll give you two weeks to get your stuff together, you know, and then the pushback and teachers didn't want to go and teachers were scared and they were scared they were going to get COVID. And, you know, at one point they said, okay, anybody over a certain age can't go back into the system. And then they realized that the vast population of the <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. age. And they were going, yeah, yeah. okay, well, then it's not that age. Well, let's move the age up. So then, you know, people over this age could go back into the schools, but then, Those people, those age were, had to go back into school where there was 300 kids, but they weren't allowed to go visit their grandkids. So then Mm -hmm. they were like, oh my God, how is that supposed to work? So I think for me, the big misstep, I don't want to name it. I don't want to be too strong on my words. The big misstep was not having the people at the table who were going to be impacted by the decisions and those people needed to put their input. So it was almost like, hurry up to go slow. That's what, the, that's what the approach was. It was hurry up to go slow. Let's get them back out there. You know, little kids aren't as impacted by the virus as, you know, as, as adults are. So likely they won't get it. Or if they do get it, it'll be mild. And so they'll probably survive it and, and so on. And not realizing that, you know, 50% of people who are infected are asymptomatic. Like they don't mm-hmm. have symptoms. And kids can have symptoms. So I think for me, if uh, when we look back, when we, you know, take a step back and and that was for me was the the biggest, the people who are going to be impacted were not at the table, you know, these guidelines came down, these, you know, directives came down. Uh, schools were expected to to you know execute. There's also that lack of belief, and maybe because this is my bias, but that you know online learning, there was no robust online you know a platform that was built, um, which I think would have been very beneficial. I watch my own kids, you know, and they're struggling kind of in this quasi whatever it is, um, system, and it's, it's a hit, and, it's kind of hit and miss, uh, the system that uh, the kids are working in, you know, this one day on one day off one day on, they put all the high schools on that, my kids have been on that since, you know, September, but that system is safety centric. So it's mm-hmm. driven by safety needs. And it's also resource centric. So it's, it's, it's driven by how many teachers do we have, you know, the environment, How what's the capacity, how many kids can it hold, and so on. So you have these models that are, you know, safety and, and resource-centric or centered, and we understand that. I'm not arguing, well, what do we care about safety? But then where's the student-centric piece, you know? It's not there, And it's not that they don't care about the kids. They absolutely do. They love them. It has nothing to do with teacher competence or, you know, principal. It doesn't have to do with anybody's competence. It's just the model is structured in a way that, you know, does not advantage, you know, students and does not advantage all the students. Because there are Um, students who in that model, it's a fail for them. Like, it's just not working.
2: Um, Gaps, in other words, yeah. yeah Yeah.
0: well it's because it's again it's it's got a different focus right it's focused on safety and we get that we we're not going to argue with that and we only have a finite amount of teachers and and buildings will only hold so many kids so we can't overload that um but at the same time uh it's it's a struggle like it's it's really been uh, incredibly hard. So I think if I was, you know, if I were to step back, I would would not hurry up to go slow. I wouldn't choose that model. And I would 100% put the people who are going to be impacted at the, um, at the you know, impacted by decisions need to be at the table. Like they needed to be there. They were not in, in some cases. Um, and, but they were responsible and accountable for, um uh, implementing the directives, which is really hard. I'm accountable responsible but I don't agree <laughs> you know so how does this work and and I think that there was a lot of it caused a lot of confusion, it caused a lot of anxiety um, you know the even though a percentage of cases in schools seems to be really low and and I think that's true. but in September, I think it was 1.5 million people in Quebec went back out onto the workforce, when they opened up schools, they put, you know, kids out there, they put teachers, they put bus drivers, they put they put all of these people out there. Um, And then, you know, you start to see the cases rise. But they're still attributing case rise to small gatherings and small groups. They're not attributing, you know, schools and kids as contributing, you know, to the, the overall sort of numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still ha- can't imagine there's not a correlation between putting 1.5 million people back out there and that somehow that's not impacting, you know, the numbers or the, or the growth of cases. So um, I would say that 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 disconnect between, you know, here's the directive and the guidelines. And then, you know, dispensing it and leaving it to individual provinces, you know, schools, principals to implement their own thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. It it ended up, I think, with too many things that everybody had a different problem or a different issue, which I think had there been a more cohesive um, uh, plan, uh, bring everybody on board. Even some people might say, I don't like that. Okay, but if we all work together, if we're all rowing in the same direction at the same time, we're going to make way more progress than everybody having their oar in the water, at different time, different rhythm, different than the boats all over the place. And so there's a kind of feeling that the boat is kind of all over the place. It, um, you know, we have a curfew, eight o'clock, so you can't get COVID after eight. I don't Mm. know. Like, you know what I mean? Like,
2: it
0: feels random, you know, it feels, what can we do? Like, what can we do that's going to have maybe least resistance from the people? I, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure the decisions that are made. Sometimes they feel random and yeah. Yeah. It, or left open to interpretation. So, okay, I'll do it my way, but then someone next door is doing it a different way. So how does that work?
2: No, definitely a lot of trial and error. But in this case, it's just, um, it, it kind of feels like, let me just take the dart, you know, cover my eyes and throw it and hopefully it lands mm-hmm. on the bullseye. Yeah. yeah, which mm-hmm. is pretty dangerous and and reckless. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's yeah, yeah. And, and I think it causes confusion for people. It Mass causes confusion. resistance. That's- you know, the last thing you want is resistance. You don't want people resisting. Um, and then you get resistance, and then people say, "I'm not going to comply." Yeah. And what you want, because I think what's happening a lot with leadership as well is that they put strategies, and um, you know, they put strategies in place that um, uh, it requires compliance, mm-hmm. and it's not compliance that they need; they need cooperation. Mm-hmm. They need people to cooperate with them. So they need strategies that engage people to be cooperative, right? Because if if I, you know, I can take my hammer, <laughs> but I, I, I might need, I
3: like that one. you know? yep.
0: yeah, I might need something. I might need a softer approach. I might, I need you. I need your help. I need your support. I need you to engage with me. Um, and I think the strategies and the leadership style didn't lend itself to that in, in some instances. It was more compliance. Do it or else. Do it or else I'll find you. Do it or else you get sick. Do it or else you'll die. Do it or else you can't go back to mm-hmm. work. Do it or else we can't open the co- But I need your cooperation. But I was never at the table. You know, mm-hmm. you invite me in to sit with you to work this out together.
2: And you know what that sounds like at the end of the day, you know, and again, like this is going to sound a little cheesy, but like it sounds like they need a little bit of human relations at that table. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe, maybe a few of us from AHSC who who knows something like that. And that being said, well, in all honesty, I think someone, you know, from an outside objective perspective should have been there to facilitate that process, you know, to take the different voices from the different sectors, you know, different demographics, right, and just have that sit down. And uh, I, I think just to explore that a bit more, Luca
1: has a question regarding that. Yeah, that's a perfect segue, Alan, actually. Very much. <laughs> yeah, so stepping away a little bit from leadership within maybe the global pandemic, but like, mm-hmm. you know, leadership could take on, like people could take on different, or, or take it on in different roles and different positions. So we wanted to just sort of like, um, like discuss maybe the, the difference between like a leader, a manager and a facilitator.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for me, um, it's really in kind of maybe in that order. Uh, leaders are people who engage, who inspire, who have vision, who have the big picture, are more strategic, perhaps. Um, manager is someone who manages the people and the pieces. So you get the big strategic, and then you know how do you execute that? Who's who's going to do what? How are they going to do it? It's more transactional, maybe. Uh, managers are more more functional, um, and then facilitator. Which I think I think what you said, Alan, was great, was that facilitating the process you know i think facilitation is a leadership <laughs> skill and mm-hmm. a facilitator is someone who i i i'm not in you know i'm not invested in whether your kids go back to school or not you know i'm not invested in whether the economy opens but i am invested in getting everybody at the table i am invested in a process mm-hmm. that you know facilitates decision making that facilitates resolving conflict um so i think that to me those are the kind of the the distinct so I could be a facilitator and they're also kind of like the Venn diagram right they overlap right so leadership and then it overlaps with a segment that's managing and then overlaps again with you know the facilitator or facilitation piece um, and I think that uh, it's really important to be able to understand what you like to do you know we often elevate people in organizations to leadership. Uh, you know we give them a you know they're they're um, a specialist let's say uh highly regarded they're they're fabulous they do an amazing job and to reward them we give them a team mm-hmm. to, to lead you know and sometimes the last thing they want is that. They have no idea how to do it. They, you know, they're the specialists. You know, they're the um, and. But now we're asking them to manage. So I think for for again, it comes back to that teaching piece. You can be taught to do it. Um, I would encourage. And some people just love to lead. They love to inspire. They love to you know um, get people on board. They have the capacity to. And then other people like to manage. You know, they like to manage the nuts and bolts and the um, you know getting people functional and up to speed and um, and then you know being able to hold the whole thing. To together and facilitate processes to get everything done so it's connected Mm. you know the three are connected but i think you might have a preference or a default you know if you went into an organization you might say what uh, you know let me look at your processes let me take them apart let me see what works what's functional Someone else may say, I love to lead people. Like, just let me lead and manage because you're going to lead them, inspire them, grow them. Um, But some managers are not involved in the strategic piece. You know, they're not. But I think you still have to be able as a leader to be inspirational, you know, to really inspire people engage people um you know uh, help them to understand how they're connected to the bigger picture and the process that they're contributing to um how is that going to help move the group and move the organization forward so i think those are all important pieces Mm -hmm. you get people's cooperation that way
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that's good i like that and speaking of which in this case um Right. looking at uh, those three different lenses, you know, leadership management as well as uh, facilitation. And I think it's just really cool if we just go back and we touch on so here uh, you mentioned how you you were part of that committee, you know, mm-hmm. part of the uh, the birth, the creation of the master's program at AHSC, so human systems intervention. And you know, in this case, if we just like can we build up on what we were just talking about, Um, In what capacity, what format, you know, did you contribute to that committee and what comes out of it? So was it a facilitative process? Were you managing something in particular? Was there leading capacity? You tell us.
0: Okay, so um, being a part of the committee, uh, my tasks and roles were research. So it was researching what's out there, what what gets done. Um, there had to be a distinction between our, uh the applied human sciences like undergrad and now this is a graduate program, right? So what was the focus going to be? Um, and uh, to make a distinction between them. So it's, uh, and the big picture is human systems intervention, right, HSI. Uh, so the graduate so for me my role specifically was doing research it was inter it was doing running surveys it was collating the data uh, what do people want what did they imagine it was going to be um, and then uh, pulling pulling all of that together and uh, then you know just feeding it back into the committee so it was more in a research capacity and and also trying to distinguish okay how is this program going to be different and really it has more of a it has a big emphasis on uh, self as an instrument for change. Right. Uh, going into uh, organizations, looking at systems, you know, really has a systems perspective to it, being able to, you know, break systems down, understanding systems. And then it's sort of, you know, how do you get in there, you know? And, and for me, it's like um, walking through an ecosystem, mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I've given this example before, I think, is that when uh, you go down to the beach, you know, and you're walking, mm. you playing in the water. And I know my kids did this when they went to um, Prince Edward Island. And then the water goes out, and then it's shocking what's there. You know, you got starfish and you got plants, you got things growing. So you're finally, so I think HSI, the master's program, really helps you to anticipate what's under the water, mm. you know, and if I walk in here, How am I going to walk? How am I going to place my feet? So it was, you know, important to understand that. That just came through, you know, through research. But it was also to develop a program that was unique, you know, that was different from it's there's not one like it in Canada. That's right. i like in the world, but there's not one like it in Canada. So really wanted to make it, you know, to differentiate it. Why come and do this program? And what will I get at the end of it? Who will, you know, who will I be? Because it's, it's often a skill set. You know, it's a perspective. You know that coming out of your undergrad degree, you get, you know, this... You don't necessarily get a a, a a traditional title. Okay, I'm now going to be this. You get, you know, the skill set that can be transferred. It's applicable and it can really go anywhere with you. Or you can invent yourself, mm. you know, and say I'm a consultant or I'm a, you know, you can you can apply it that way.
1: Mm-hmm. And what led to like uh, HSC, like wanting and or like needing a master's program?
0: I think the putting and putting the masters in place was a, an opportunity to elevate the work that was already being done at the undergraduate level. Um, mm-hmm. I think it expands, you know, your your clientele. So um, being able to, uh, you know, bring in more students. I think it was also to give students a, another, like, to to really anchor them in, you know, applied human sciences, you know, to really take, be, if they wanted to, you know, you don't have to, there's lots of application for your undergraduate degree, but if you wanted to go like that one step further, you know, to really become a systems interventionist, you know, really, um, you know, broadening your theoretical, because I mean, it's it's grounded in, in some really good theory. Um, it's also got that strong application piece, you know, you're going out into, you know, an organization and you're creating an intervention and you're going in and uh, putting the uh, putting it out there in the uh into the uh, organization so you're actually implementing uh, an intervention that you create but it also has a very strong um self-reflective piece so students who go through it if you speak with them they they it's transformative but it's transformative to the degree that you would like it to be some people get flipped inside out Mm -hmm. and other people, you know, they change the perspective or their stance and other people carry through and, and none of it is good or bad or right or wrong, or it's, it's just, you know, how you approach it and, and what your, your sort of learning philosophy is, um, and how you, you know, go into and your, your, your approach, I guess, and how you, you know, tackle your own learning. Mm.
2: All right, Diane. Um, we're practically at the end here with our time, but before we go, you know, I do have uh, one final question for you. Uh, I like to do this, especially like me mean, with uh, with our profs. I, I think you're all so wonderful, you know. And just uh, Luke and I here are are now graduates, you know. And we've had a, a lot of great experiences, you know, uh, under uh, under you and many other uh, wonderful professors. And what I just like to ask you: what is just one You know, so significant piece of advice regarding leadership, conflict, decision making, um, and especially with those values that you have, you know, about that inside out approach, right? About taking Mm -hmm. the world, looking at a lens, okay, but self-reflecting, you know, all the while. So what's one specific piece of advice that you'd like to give out?
0: I think, (laughs) excuse me, for me, um, you know, leader or developing into a leader um, is to understand. I think that we can we can all do it. Mm-hmm. We're all leaders. We all have the capacity. Um, it can be big or small, um, and that uh, sometimes the situation will draw us out. Uh, and I think that it's to have that openness and it's relational, like it's relationships. So it's really build those relationships with people, be curious about people, uh, be of wanting to be of service to people, you know, wanting to be helpful um, and not make it about you mm-hmm. when you're leading, but make it about others. Mm-hmm. And and I think that um, for me, that's always served me better. You know, it's not to be, you know, the uh, the, the the only person in the room, or wanting to be the one that has the loudest voice, or wanting to be, but wanting to be the one to be of service. You know, wanting to be the one. What's missing here? How can I fill in? You mm-hmm. know. So it's having you know the ability to uh, to read things. And I think if I disconnect from my needs but and focus on what's going on in front of me um, and how I can be of service um, that's a position I I find has always been it's been a strength for me to be able to do that it's not everybody who wants to do that um, but I I, it's never let me down like when I stand in that position as a leader that's and and put people first um, it's never let me down so, uh, so I continue, I continue to do that and I continue to work hard on, on, on growing that. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I believe it, you know, I, I can attest to it, you know, from, you know, being a student, you know, with you along with Luca and, and uh, working alongside you with the uh, TAing with the others, you know, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's awesome.
0: Great experience. It
2: was. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I do believe you have some uh, concluding words for us.
0: I do. And I love this when, uh, when you when you said it to me. I loved it. And um, so I'm going to repeat it back for your audience because I think um, they're going to love it too. And so um, here is, here's, what, uh, here's your motto. And I've written it down because I'm going to keep it with me as well. So it says, we are alpha relations. Uh, driving change forward. That's perfect. And and so yeah, you, you nailed it. Uh, That's
2: yeah. you nailed it.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, we are Alpha Relations driving change forward. That's brilliant. So,
1: yeah. Thank you, diane <laughs> All Good right. You. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. It was a Such a pleasure. pleasure. It was. What am I doing? Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. If you're new here, hit that subscribe button. Turn on post notifications. If you're on other platforms, hit that follow button. Uh, we're going to leave our link down below in our on our Instagram. And thank you all for listening once again. And peace out. You know you want to.